G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. The Ministry of Health in the nation of Latvia didn't know how to handle all the orphanages that the communists had established. Well, two of these Russian pastors came to me, good friends now, and said, can you help us? We can hardly look after ourselves. And I thought, look, look, I'll restructure and I'll do this for two years. Well, at the two-year mark, I was supporting four orphanages. At the five-year mark, it was seven orphanages. I got to the Lord in some serious prayer and I said, you know, Lord, you con me. You con me. (laughs) (laughs) The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, in 1972, God called David Smithhurst and his wife Margarita into ministry. This calling has taken them into churches, schools, military bases and prisons across the world, including Africa, Latvia and other former Soviet Union countries. Today we'll find out the story behind David's Smithhurst Ministries as he has a chat with Shelley Scowen. So many different facets of your ministry, David, but let's go back to the very beginning. Tell us about how God planted that seed in your heart back in 1972. Well, it goes back a little further than that. Okay, let's go back even further. I grew up in the apartheid system in South Africa. Right. And my early friends were the Zulu kids, the Zulu boys. I used to play soccer with them and box with them. And my dad actually was the South African light heavyweight boxing champion. So he insisted on me boxing from about the age of six. Well, the friends around our neighborhood were the little Zulu kids. And I actually learned Zulu from a very young age. And as a result of being friends with these disprivileged little children, I developed a compassion. Now, I did not know Christ as my Lord and Savior at that stage. Jesus, for me, was just a historical figure that I was learning about. Looking back, I can see this is where God picks up things that he's deposited in a little heart and uses it in later years. So uh, in early years, where we started our ministry 40 Two years ago in South Africa, I started supporting schooling programs for the African kids as well as orphanages. So it started back before we ever came to Australia. Right. Yeah, you've had that heart for people in need right from the very beginning. Well, um, I got into trouble (laughs) with the authorities in South Africa because of my friendship and affiliation with these disprivileged people. And there was a period of time before apartheid ended, when we'd already started in ministry, where the security police tapped our phone for six years. Really? They thought I was a threat to the nation, and uh, they soon found out after investigating very thoroughly in the places I was going to minister to these disprivileged people that it was all good. Riots were being stopped. Youngsters got back to school instead of burning their schools down. And many of them committed their lives to Christ in my meetings. And God seemed to put a blanket of peace over those troubled areas as a result. Look, I wasn't the only one doing that, but it was uh, wonderful to be part of that era. 
Mm. What a wonderful time where, yes, you've just been able to have an impact right from those early days. And now, of course, in ministry with your wife as well, it's important to do it together. So tell us about uh, how things really got started with Smethes Ministries back in the 70s and 80s. I was an accountant in Southern and Central Africa, and while I was in business, I had a wonderful opportunity to minister into the African areas, that is before the segregation ended and people were allowed to live wherever they could afford. And I thought, well, this is wonderful. Here I am earning good money and able to place that money in needy places mm. as well as uh, minister the gospel to them. Which that and is a wonderful in, thing. I mean, if people are listening at the moment and that God's called them to that kind of ministry, that's wonderful, you know. Yes. It, God hasn't called everyone to be on the front line in missions or anything. No. You know, it's wonderful that there are people out there making a whole lot of money and giving it to God's work. That's that one of the callings in life. Thing. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, mm. I didn't expect to be in public frontline ministry. I was happy to serve in a local church. Uh, my wife and I were teaching teenage Bible classes in the, in the church. I was one of the worship leaders. I could sing reasonably well in those days. <laughs> and um, as a businessman, I was supporting myself and a lot of others and enjoyed that ministry. But it was in 1972 that God began to move in my heart and through circumstances to open a door to step out full-time into these activities. And when I, when I agreed with the Lord and said, okay, lead on, please, uh, suddenly he directed us from Zimbabwe to Johannesburg. Now, that was very much against my wishes. I didn't like Johannesburg, but God won the argument. Mm -hmm. And at the end of 1972, we moved to Johannesburg to start Smithers Ministries. Was that a bit of a scary move, leaving, you know, a bit of a comfortable job and everything was, you know, working out well for you to, to well, then really have to was. follow God? Uh, let me say that I had two children at that stage. We had three now, and they were all grown up. But what bothered me was, like Abraham, traveling to a place I wasn't sure of, I didn't know well, but I just thought, well, let's see what happens and be obedient. And notwithstanding, my boss at that time was a very good man. And he said, listen, if this ministry thing doesn't work out, come back. I want to make you a director. Now, that was very tempting. <laughs> For yeah. the first three years, we battled financially. But I was determined to see that through. And at the three-year mark, the financial restraints began to drop away. But notwithstanding... Almost from the word go, doors began to open across the needy nation of Southern Africa that was really in trouble, politically, racially, and economically. And I came in at the right time. And mm. surely I must say, I wasn't the only one who was standing in the way of this wonderful wave of God that broke. A lot of my friends that I met over the years were in the same situation, and I think we were just uncomplicated enough to say, well, God, this looks like you. Let's catch this wave and see where it leads us. And it was mm -hmm. wonderful. So was that primarily a teaching ministry there? Yes. Well, I actually planted a church. And I found out it was in a strict Jewish area <laughs> only after I planted it and uh, were holding, was holding services in a local scout hall. And in the first four to six months, a little over 320 people committed their lives to Christ, most wow. of them first-time commitments. And I didn't realize it was almost an unprecedented thing. I then started getting appointments 
into the schools, the university campuses, military bases, right across the spectrum around the local area to share the gospel and what it was to have a relationship with Jesus. All of a sudden, churches almost across the nation began to call me, come and share with us how you're doing this. Come and equip us. Now, let me say that as an evangelist, I feel duty-bound to follow the scripture, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. (laughs) So I teach others in churches and in groups, youth groups, etc., all over the place, how to win their families, their friends and colleagues, and strangers to the Lord. So I began to do that across the nation, and I had to stop these church services. I chatted with the congregation and said, look, let's let's do this geographically. There are three other local churches uh, in a triangle that would love to have you guys because you're hard workers, you can support yourselves, and you've learned how to bring people to Christ. And one of those pastors, he was a Jewish fellow, said to me, are these all problem people you're giving us? Because nobody <laughs> ever gives us good people. Oh, no. I said, well, no, they, they're all solid Christians. Uh, they all know how to lead people to Christ. I can remember this Pastor Benny saying to me, you're weird. <laughs> I said, well, I'll stay that way then. <laughs> <laughs> Being a follower of Christ, sometimes it makes you stand well, out. So that, was, yeah. see, that was when I stepped out into this traveling ministry that I've been enjoying for the last 42 years. Yes, and it really has gone worldwide, particularly into Europe as well. You've got quite an amazing ministry there. One of the things you do, though, is some training seminars. How did that all start up? In 1990, a group of Lutheran churches in the Riverina Riverina area, southern New South Wales, in South Australia, around Adelaide, and in two places in Victoria, we're getting a nationwide convention together of Lutheran pastors and leaders. And I got invited to come and teach and train them in evangelism through the local churches, which I love to do. Because you bring people to Christ, you bring them into a local church where you can nurture them, build them up, and equip them. And I always work through the local churches wherever I can. Well, that was a very, very fruitful weekend. And I didn't realize the long-term consequences. These Lutheran churches, probably about 30 in number uh, in all these areas, began to invite me to come to their churches to do the training programs for their congregations. And to my amazement, these people, many of them very high-profile people, from farmers, lawyers, accountants, etc., doctors, began to share their faith in Christ openly and bring many to Christ and into their local churches. Now, obviously, churches grew in number. I do remember a number of those churches growing to at least twice the size of the congregation. And I think one of them trebled in size. Wow. Well, just so happened that the Lutheran Archbishop of the whole of Eastern Europe, based in Riga in Latvia, was doing a vacational tour of Australia, visiting the Latvian Lutheran communities. And he saw this church growth, and he said, how's this happened? And they said, well, there's this funny little guy, David Smithhurst, in Queensland, who comes down here and he kicks butt in a nice way, and he's equipped us and trained us in evangelism, and we realize, as children of God, we should share our faith wisely and, and lovingly with others, and it's working. The churches are growing. And I didn't, look, I didn't even know where Latvia was Mm. at that time. And he said, Latvia 
has just come out of communism, like other countries in Eastern Europe, and we're trying to find our direction, especially for the church. And we believe this is the way we should go. Well, through a Latvian pastor in Sydney, I got invited to come to Riga, again, not knowing where it was, to do some lectures for a week in the Lutheran Seminary and to minister in some of the big old cathedral churches that had tiny little frightened congregations. Well, it was so successful, but I must tell you, I was reluctant because so far away, it was winter time, January 1992, and it was the coldest winter they'd had in about 50 years. I think oh, wow. the temperature was about minus 25 degrees, and the snow was at least half a meter deep. And I, I prayed a ridiculous prayer. I said, God, I just don't like this place. <laughs> I don't like the weather, but I gritted my teeth, stuck it out, and sowed the seeds, equipped people, and then left. Six months later, I got another invitation. Six months later, another invitation. And before I knew it, I'd paid five visits there. And on one of those early visits, the Ministry of Health in the nation of Latvia didn't know how to handle all the orphanages that the communists had established. The new Ministry of Health didn't know how to cope. Well, two of these Russian pastors came to me, good friends now, and said, can you help us? We can hardly look after ourselves. Well, Smithers Ministries wasn't structured to do that. As an accountant, I knew what I had to do to restructure the paperwork, the costs, the time involved. And I thought, look, look, I'll restructure and I'll do this for two years. I'll help you for two years. And by that time, God will send the real hero along to do this support work. Well, at the two-year mark, <laughs> I was supporting four orphanages. At the five-year mark, it was seven orphanages. I got to the Lord in some serious prayer, and I said, you know, Lord, you con me. You con me. <laughs> uh, but this is a delightful con. When God shows you something he, he, that he's leading you into, he never gives you the big picture. Because it would overwhelm us, and we'd back away. Yes. He leads us one step at a time, and it has been a growing experience. It's been painful at times, because any growing experience stretches you, and it's painful mm -hmm. mentally and physically. But it's been a delightful growing experience where my faith has grown, my ability to budget for these orphanages, trust God for the funds, because it's all on a faith basis. Mm -hmm. And God, over the years, has raised up some wonderful people to support the orphanages through our ministry, and uh, many of them have made mission trips with me. You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with teacher and evangelist David Smithhurst, who is sharing the story behind the growth of his international Smithhurst Ministries. We'll have more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're back with more of Shelley Scowen chatting with teacher and evangelist David Smithhurst, who's sharing about the growth of his international Smithhurst Ministries. And as we've been hearing, David's heart is to minister to those who are hurting all around the world, and specifically to children in orphanages. Over 23 years now, we've seen 
thousands of these orphans leave the orphanage, get a good little job, because we put them through work-related courses as to what they'd like to put their hand to, ranging from driving courses where they can get a job as a courier or a driver for an airline or embassy to an apprenticeship through the trades uh, down to being a chef or a florist. That's the cheapest course. The driving course is the most expensive. And these courses would be anything from four to six months. And with that diploma, they can go out and get an apprenticeship or get a little job somewhere within the European Union. And then they get married. Then they have children. And I tell you, it is payday for me. (laughs) I I get very emotional when I think about this. Uh, They don't know who I am. But when they get to older teenage years, uh, I have a different relationship with them. And uh, many of them have moved to other parts of Europe. And they watch my website. They see when I'm going to be back in their nation. And they'll take a time off, maybe a week, and come and work with me, being my drivers and interpreters. And uh, that, that's payday for me. I couldn't see that 23 years ago. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the wonderful thing about being involved in it in a long-term capacity is that you do get to see those long-term results as well and yes. will continue to do so as well. Tell us about the impact that it is having on these kids. Well, first of all, I rely very heavily on local teams in those areas. They were youngsters going back uh, 22 years ago who at the time were little nuisances. I'm talking about 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds who would hang around wanting to be our interpreters. Well, that was a big blessing because we definitely needed interpreters into Latvian and Russian. But I didn't realize that I started mentoring these youngsters. They've all got very effective ministries today. And how they got on my nerves was they turn up every afternoon at the little one-star hotel I was staying at <laughs> or with, a, with a, a local mission team that I had with me and uh, want to be our interpreters. Okay, now we had to find vehicles to transport these guys around. And they were really a boon um, as interpreters. Very yeah. accurate. Their English was good. And I was concerned. Uh, I contacted some of their fathers and said, listen, they're they're coming from three in the afternoon till 11 at night, and how they're coping with their schoolwork and their homework. And one man said, well, my son, Sasha, has done his homework for one month ahead, so he can be with you. I thought, well, there's a clever boy. Mm. Well, he is my prime manager in Latvia today. (laughs) He's made himself indispensable. He, um, He leads a team of about 47 Young people, oh, they're growing up, they're in their, their 20s and early 30s now, who do all the groundwork, all the logistical work of taking the goods that we supply or the funds we supply, they buy the local goods and they take them out to the orphanages and meet the needs right on the ground. And the same in northern Ukraine and southern Ukraine, where we support orphanages in those regions. Anyway, I get a call five and a half years ago winter, Northern Hemisphere, from the Chaplain General of the NATO forces in Latvia. He's a friend of mine, he's a Baptist pastor, and he says, David, look, I need you to get over here quickly. I said, oh, you're joking. Have you seen the weather outside? It was like minus 30 degrees. (laughs) And I said, no, I'm chicken to come into that sort of weather. He said, well, look, I've just come out of a meeting with the commanders and the uh, Brigadier General And they've said to me, look, we've had a deployment of troops back from Afghanistan who had absolutely shattered and demoralized. We need you to address two issues. We need you to prepare our troops for eternity, alleviate the the fear of death, 
and I need you to sort out the problems with their marriages because 40% of these young marriages were breaking up because of the stress. And the chaplain general said, but I'm not qualified, I'm not experienced enough, but I know someone who could do that. And when he told them about me, they said, but he's a foreigner. Why should we invite him? He said, because he supports 30 orphanages in our nation. Oh, well, okay, let's give him a try. He'll have to pay for the first pilot visit, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, it was most successful. Mm. And I'm coming up now for my 15th visit delivering these seminars to the troops, Army, Navy, Air Force, National Guard, Military Police, where, look, I have to prepare a very adequate seminar with a PowerPoint presentation and the audiovisuals all translated into Latvian and Russian. So I've given a 45-minute segment where I've got to be so precise in like 18 minutes for me, 18 minutes for the interpreter, and then the balance of time just to wrap up. Yeah. And uh, I've dealt with a lot of subjects. For example, the spiritual comes into it. Because the Brigadier General gave me this mandate, prepare the troops for eternity and help sort out the problems with their families. I weave everything around that. And I guess I've probably prepared about 36 different seminars dealing with how to win over stress at work and at home, de-stressing your relationships, especially the people you've got to work with. And, um, but I'm weaving the spiritual into it. That if they do ignore the spiritual as some of them do, at least they get a good kick in the butt and some information on how to improve their, their situations. Well, I've spoken to probably about 24,000 troops. Wow. Drawn from Ukraine, Belarus, Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia at those bases. Now, what has happened with Ukraine being in turmoil at the moment, their bases have opened up there that have invited me to come and train the Ukrainian troops directly with these seminars. And uh, all of this piggybacked on what we were doing for the orphanages. And I, I couldn't see that at the time. And somebody said to me at one time, supporting the orphanages, so you bent low to help little children up? I said, no, no. I reached up to help little children because Jesus values them so highly. They have a high status with Jesus. Mm. So I reached up to help them, and I got lifted up at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, they lifted you up, and now you're talking to some of the most influential people uh, in those very influential countries as well, as we see what's going on politically with the likes of Ukraine and uh, some of those surrounding nations. It really could be quite strategic. And you know, if you've talked to 24,000-odd troops over there, uh, hopefully that's made a pretty massive impact on them. Well, I'm sure it has. And many of them do write to me. Some of the commanders come to me and said, can I go out to lunch with you? And I'll take them to lunch and pay for the lunch. It doesn't cost very much than that cost of living. And yeah. during that period of lunch, I will ask the commander about his family situation, pray with him, and many of them I have the privilege of leading to Christ. Yeah. And I write to their family members who are very bitter against their dads who are career soldiers. Mm. They've been through two marriages and sometimes a third marriage is falling apart and say, listen, you need to get back and talk to your dad, get rid of the unforgiveness and bitterness from your life because while you've got that in your life, it's like you drinking a glass of poison and hoping it's going to kill your father and it yes. doesn't work that way. Yes. And uh, many of them do. 
and uh, the commander tells me, he said, my children have written to me, we're getting things sorted out, we're talking for the first time in 10 years, and oh, it's wonderful. That's wonderful. And those seminars you mentioned, you've actually made them available for Australian churches as well. Yes, I do. I've been doing this for the 27, almost 28 years we've been living in Australia, all around the country and from equipping churches in evangelism to marriage courses that my wife and I do together. Uh, we simply share our experiences and, uh, and uh, offer information and strategies to people who want to improve their family relationships and their marriages and um, uh, issues of, of uh, winning over stress at work and at home. Well, you know, whatever the need is, we try and step into the gap and meet that need. And, of course, we bring the gospel into it. Mm. Uh, we don't force it on people because many outsiders, unchurched people, come to get information just to help in those areas of need. Mm. And if they respond to the gospel, that's fine. Uh, we'll just sow the seeds anyway. Yeah. David, time has got the better of us, unfortunately, but it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning about just a fraction of the things that you've been involved in over the last few decades and how God has directed your every move and given you that passion and that heart for people that, well, and, well, and a land as well that you thought maybe uh, you'd like to run away from. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Thank you so much for having a chat. My pleasure, Shelley. God bless you. Thank you. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with teacher and evangelist David Smithhurst from Smithhurst Ministries. And it was great to hear the story behind the growth of his ministry to the point that it is now impacting people's lives all over the world. David's story is a perfect illustration of the parable of the talents, where the ruler tells the servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Now I will make you a ruler over many things. And as we heard in David's story, his faithfulness continually was blessed and his ministry and its impact continued to grow and grow. To find out more about David's ministry, the website is smithhurstministries.org. That's smithhurstministries, S-M-E-T-H-H-U-R-S-T, ministries.org. Well, thanks for joining us for David's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The story. the story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 